Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I'm Mark Pugh, Pastor of Outreach and Operations here at the Vine. It's great to be with you again this morning. If you guys are online and checking us out, welcome. Glad y'all joined us. Um, You know, we're in... A sermon series. We're in the, actually this is the last sermon of the sermon series we've been in for the last couple of weeks in Jeremiah 31. It's called One Big Story of God's Grace. And today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 31, verses 35 to 40. You guys can go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you want to. Again, that's that's uh, chapter 31, verses 35 to 40. Like we've seen in the last several weeks, we're going to see today the whole book of Jeremiah, really the whole Bible is a great example from beginning to end of the unfolding story of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, I am really fired up about this passage today. Like I'm really excited about, I'm probably as excited about this passage as any passage I've ever gotten to speak about. And it's, you know, I guess I'm a little bit nervous. I might be over... uh, overstating the expectations here. It's kind of like when you go to a movie, somebody's like said, hey, you got to go to this movie. And then you go to the movie and you're like, yeah, that one is good as Shrek or Shrek 2. <laughs> let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles here. Chapter 31, verses 35 to 40. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. It's this fixed order. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be explored, then I will cast off all of the offspring of Israel for all that they have done declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hanel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and and shall turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kedron, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up, or overthrown anymore forever. You know, for, for us to really get this, to get the beauty of this, I think we need a little context. You know, we've shared before that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, that he was full of grief for the sin and the judgment of his people in, in Israel. And while preparing for this sermon, I had an opportunity. I was driving down to Savannah. I had a couple hours. I had the opportunity to listen to Jeremiah. I've, I've read the book several times, but I've, I've never listened to it. And, and I really enjoyed it. It took over two hours to, to do that. But while I was listening to the reader, I couldn't help but to, to be overwhelmed a little bit like Jeremiah. I had this little bit of sense of sadness for my own sin, for my own selfishness. Like every day, I'm pretty much all about me. And I think if we don't understand the magnitude of our sin, it's going to be really hard to understand the beauty of the promise 
of the new covenant, that his faithfulness is with us now and forever. You know, throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see people of Israel, they're, they're having to learn over and over and over again about God's grace. They struggle to understand it. They struggle to trust it. This was a, a, a problem for them all the time. And yet God was always at work pointing them, taking them to Jesus, even though they didn't deserve it. So let's, let's look at a couple of, um, couple of verses at the very beginning of Jeremiah. Again, just to put some context to this. Um, if we look at chapter 1, verse 16, we see, I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the work of their own hands. And then chapter 2, verse 5, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness to, and became worthless? Verse 7 in chapter 2, you made my heritage an abomination. Verse 13, for my people committed two evils. They, they have forsaken me, which really means to abandon. And we see this word 21 times in the book of Jeremiah. And they, they hewed, they dug out these cisterns for themselves. And these were broken cisterns that would, that would take no water. And then it gets worse. And chapter 3 starts referring to his people's prostitutes. Because they're committing adultery, they're worshiping other gods, and they're worshiping the world rather than worshiping him. So how does this, how do we relate to this? Why is this important to us now? And I, I, think, um, I think a lot of us, on a regular day's basis, we're, we're forsaking God. We're, we're struggling not to do that. On a daily basis, we're putting our trust in these broken cisterns. We're putting our trust in things like our work or how important our house is or how clean it's got to be or our, our cars or our phones. And we, we're, we're digging into entertainment so much so that we really don't necessarily want to, don't have time for, to care for our neighbors. There's a lot of us, this is a big deal in the United States, that are more concerned about working remotely than we are whether our coworker knows Jesus. Now, there's some of us in here that get really excited about a football game. Last night was kind of rough, by the way. Um, my daughter, she's at Tennessee, and a uh, really exciting season, and we played Alabama, and we beat them, and she had been at ESPN game day and made a big deal out of it all day, and I get this text at the end of the day, and she says, Dad, this was the greatest day of my life. She comes by it naturally, you know, but honestly, um, I went to the Kentucky game and uh, I, uh, I realized that I was more excited about Tennessee winning than caring about anybody's soul that was around me. To understand the beauty of our passage today, we have to realize that we are just like the Israelites that Jeremiah is talking to. But here's the good news. Even though we struggle every day, we struggle not to build up these broken cisterns. We struggle not to chase worthlessness. God is faithful. We can trust God's faithfulness every day. So let's talk a little bit about why. Why can we trust God's faithfulness? And if we look at verse 35, we'll start to see this. 
We see right away that, that it's God who gives us the sun. It's God that orders the moon and the stars and, and the sea. He makes the sea roar. He is the, the host of, of an army. That's his name. He's the host. And, and, and he holds creation in his hand. He's restoring all things. And I wonder, like, well, we didn't have anything to do with that. What does a non-Christian think when they go outside and they look up and they see the beauty of the blue sky or the sunset or the magnitude of the ocean? It always makes me wonder, what, mankind had nothing to do with that. So as we think about that, what does that mean to us? And we see the same thing in Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9, 6 says, you are the Lord you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So as we look at creation, we get this glimpse of why we can trust God's faithfulness because we're reminded of his greatness. We, we, we're reminded in just really practical ways when we go outside and we see his creation that's why we worship. He's, a, he's the creator. We're the creation. We realize that we're a part of something that's way bigger than ourselves. And then in verse 36, he, he further explains why we can trust God's faithfulness. It says, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. And we see some sarcasm going on here. He's like, hey, if the, the sun quits coming up, I'm done. I'm out of here. Like we know what he's really saying is he will always, always be faithful. And then in verse 37, he reiterates this. He confirms it, that he's going to be faithful even while we're trying to, to measure the heavens and explore the depths of the earth. You know, when, uh, when we do this, we, we get the sense that we're maybe capable, but the reality is we will never, ever get the vastness of God. Now, I, I like science and I like facts. I, I didn't necessarily like to study them when I was growing up, but the reality is science and facts have changed over and over and over again since I was a kid. I mean, when I was in school, the dinosaurs were cold-blooded and stupid. Saturn was the only planet that had rings, and Pluto got the respect it deserved because it was a planet back then. <laughs> so we know more now. We know more now, but we'll never get the vastness of God. So we can trust that he'll be faithful to us. And, and we see this again in Isaiah. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And we see another great little passage in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 2, 13, it says, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Even when we don't do our part, God is faithful. So we know a little bit more about why we can trust his faithfulness. Let's look at what is God's faithfulness. And the short answer to this is that his faithfulness is the new covenant. It's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. We see this again in verse 36 and 37, that he's going to keep care of his people forever. He will never cast off his family 
for all that they have done. I mean, we've talked about that already, all that they've done. They've forsaken him. They've committed adultery. These passages, they, they, they clearly point to the finished work of Jesus. Where Jesus came here, lived a perfect life, sacrificed himself to be a substitute to redeem his people, his family, for all that they had done. It's his family, it's Jesus' family that will have eternal life because of the cross. Our passage today really just continues to unpack what we've learned over the last couple weeks. What we saw in verses 31 to 34, that New Testament, what John preached on. I want to read that again. It says, uh, behold, this is verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their inequity and I will remember their sin no more. That's beautiful. In verse 36 and 37, again, we're seeing God's faithfulness play out in this promise of the new covenant that he'll never cast us off. He'll always be our, our God. He'll, he'll remember our sin no more. You see, because of our unfaithfulness, our chasing after worthlessness, our putting our hope in these broken cisterns, we don't deserve his faithfulness. Yet he still gives it to us through Jesus Christ. Again, this promise, this new covenant, it, it's, a, it's a commitment between God and his people. It should give us grace and hope. It ushers in his kingdom, that he's on the throne right now today, and, and Christ is the mediator, and, and we have the Holy Spirit inside us, and because of that, we get to be a part of establishing his kingdom right now. So we've talked a little bit about why. Why can we trust God's faithfulness? We've talked a little bit about what is his faithfulness. Well, let's spend a little time talking about how does his faithfulness impact our lives. We're going to read 38 to 40 here. It says, um, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt, for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate and the measuring line shall go out further, straight to the hill Gerib, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. And I love this first word. I, I love this first bit where he says, behold, that Jeremiah, he's got passion, man. He's telling us for sure the city's going to be rebuilt. So to Jeremiah and the Israelites, this passage was really about the restoration of the southern kingdom of Israel and after its captivity in Babylon. But, but for us, it's more than that. It's when all God's people from both the northern and the southern kingdoms and the Gentiles, all that put their faith and trust in Jesus, will be saved. 
You know, from the commentaries I read, um, there was a lot of back and forth on this. There's a lot of commentaries that said, hey, this is a lot of, this is very detailed, and this is only about the earthly city of Jerusalem. And then there's a bunch of other commentaries that said, yeah, it's about that, and it's about the new heaven. And, and, and I, I fall in that camp because I, I, it doesn't really make sense to me that it would be just the earthly city because Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem later. And it says that wouldn't happen. In these verses, I think we see Jeremiah beginning to describe, again, this new heaven. He's laying out a city that will be sacred and never destroyed. In verse 40, we see this phrase, plucked up and overthrown. We see that 13 times in Jerusalem and Jeremiah. It's a major theme of the book. And then from the context that we've already talked about, we know why we and the Israelites deserve to be plucked up for all that we have done. Some of us in here right now, we, we probably feel a little bit plucked up and overthrown right now. I know that's hard. I've had some moments in my life where I've felt that way. But the reality is this, this passage gives us truth. It says that we will not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. How good is that? We really realize that? We believe that? That our pain here is temporary? That, that we're not going to suffer in eternity? There'll be no more death? There'll be no more manipulation in our relationships? That our work won't require the toil that it does today? So what's this mean to us today? Like, why is it important to us every day, God's faithfulness? And I think just like the Israelites we got to realize that we live in exile. We are not at home. You know, i, I got to believe the Israelites, they're probably sitting around while they're in captivity, and they're going, where's God's promises? Like, when is this going to be the way it's supposed to be? And they're probably trying to figure out, well, what do I do right now? Do I isolate from culture? Do I fight with culture? You know, they probably wanted a regime change. For us, we've got to know and believe that we put our trust in God's faithfulness. Not government, not the politics. Those, our laws are very important. All of that is very important. But that's not where our, our faithfulness comes from. Our faithfulness comes from God. And because of that, we have confidence in our future. It's because of who we belong to. It's not because of what we've done or how great a person we are or who's in charge of us. We trust God's faithfulness every single day because of whose we are. We're sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. I, I grew up in this house um, that wasn't very touchy-feely. Like if you were looking for a hug, you didn't come to our house. But I remember when I was a little guy, I remember crawling up into my mom's lap and she was scratching my back. I remember feeling so secure. I felt loved. I knew my mom was going to take care of me. It was a beautiful moment. But then we grow up. And we start to lose that raw trust that we have. We start feeling like I got to perform. I need to perform to be approved of. I need to perform to get good grades. I got to perform to excel in my career. I got to perform to be in control of what's going on around 
that's really important. You know, your performance starts making you either feel comfortable or not. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I used to tell our kids a lot, results matter. You know, one of them would come to me about something that didn't go right for them or they weren't able to get something done or whatever, and I'd listen to it for a little while, and eventually I'd be like, well, you know what? Results matter. I'd say, results matter. I said it so much that a few years ago, my wife came to me and said, you got to quit telling them results matter. You're permanently messing them up. The reality is I'd already messed them up, I'm pretty sure. But I stopped because she was right. You know, are there other people in here? Is there anybody else that struggles with that? That has this feeling that I need to perform? That I, I need to control the results of what's going to happen? You know, I think results matter. But it's not our job to control the results. Our job is to be about God and his kingdom, and we let him determine the results. God's faithful. God's faithfulness can be trusted every day. So if we go back and we, and we look at verse 38 and 40 again, we see Jeremiah again. He's describing the landmarks of the city of Jerusalem. He's talking about the Tower of Hananel, the corner gate, the hill gear of this, this field of Brook Kidron. And it's, it's through this, description that we know the city's going to be rebuilt and, and those in it are going to be protected. That's his family. If we were to look back a few verses before, one we read earlier, verse 34, we see Jeremiah talking about Christ's redemption and his forgiveness, and it, it applies to the least of us. And I think it's kind of similar to what is said in verse 39 here. 39 seems to, to reflect that the lepers who were outcasts of the city were going to be included in this new city. See, historians think that, that the lepers were segregated and they were pushed out into this hill, Carib, which the word Garib means scabby. In, in kind of a, a similar way, in verse 40, we see the valley of corpses and ashes. It's also protected. It's also included in this, in this city. And that's where all the waste was dumped. You know, Jeremiah is telling us that the new Jerusalem will be without and it will never, ever be destroyed. His description of the city would have, have made this, really made sense to people back then. It would have given them comfort and it ought to give us comfort as well. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I'm an analyzer by nature. So sometimes I'll go out and, and uh, I'll be thinking about hard questions. Questions are kind of hard to answer in life, and, and doubt might seep in a little bit. But then I go on a walk, and I look at creation, and I think about this passage, and I realize, hey, you know what? The sun came up today. God's going to be faithful to me. And that's an awesome promise. I think my wife, Rhonda, she's probably got a little bit of a different view on why heaven is so exciting to her, and probably a lot of different reasons, but one of them is... Uh, you guys may or may not, she, she was born with scoliosis. So at age 14, she had a 12-inch steel rod put in her back. It kept her alive. And uh, a few years ago, we, she had had that reworked. Um, so now they put in two more 10-inch steel rods in her back and put some new discs in. It was, a, it was a big deal. So for Rhonda, when she thinks about heaven, there's at least one of the things that gets her excited. She's going to have a new body. She'll have a, probably have a pretty straight spine. No steel rods. 
And it's hard when we're dealing with struggles today. It doesn't make it easier. We're still in pain, but, but there is a little bit of beauty here to know that our suffering, our torment that we're experiencing in some of these situations is limited. It's not going to be that way for eternity. We will not be plucked up or overthrown again. So while heaven is, is real, sometimes it's a hard concept to really understand. And I thought I'd bring in a few verses from Revelation to, to help a little bit. And so Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the formal thing, former things have passed away. That's awesome. And then lastly, verse 27 in chapter 21. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, the Lamb here is Jesus. And we ought to be reading that going, am I in that book of life? Do I understand if I put my faith in Jesus? If you want to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you about that. It's important. You know, as we close this morning, my hope is that we get this real sense of purpose in our lives, knowing that, that God has written his law in our heart. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And because of that, we get to have an opportunity to join in with him in the restoration of all things. See, in, in a very real sense, today, we, we get to kind of prep for eternity. We get to... to realize that God is on the throne today, that we're not commanded to just sit around and wait for heaven to come. We're commanded to live a full life, to, to trust his covenant promise in all that we have and all that we do. And, and we go about seeking to glorify him and we get to enjoy his kingdom right now. I had a, a great breakfast with the elder this week and we were talking about how uh, it, this seemed like maybe a taste of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Right now, we're enjoying this really good meal and having Christian fellowship. And we get to do that. His family gets to be a part of that right now. And we have eternal life because God sent his only son to be a sacrifice for us. You know, the last couple of months, I've, I've been asking the Lord, help, help me enjoy my work. Help me be all about you each day. And so I'm going in and before a meeting or during a meeting or before an activity, I'm trying to just whisper, Lord, help me. Help me. Help this be about your glory. 
And, and that phrase is really getting me because I'm realizing so often I'm not really about his glory. I'm really about just getting the next thing done so I can get the next thing done or so I can have a little bit more ease. That's what I'm about in the moment. But here's the good news. I'm trying really hard on this. And I'm failing regularly. But God is still faithful. God's faithfulness can be trusted every day. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We're thankful. We're thankful to be here as your church family, to to be together, to, to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would share whatever thoughts are needed for each person here to draw you near so that we could trust your faithfulness. We would trust your promises. Lord, help us. It's in your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at the Vine CC. Have a great week.